This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, so let me ask you, where are, because I'm so far out of the loop, and uh, my audience may be too, because I actually call myself post-politics at this point, because I've just been focusing the last few months, uh, as I said, on technocracy, on the money behind it, what the government's actually doing, uh, a lot of these things that aren't necessarily talked about all the time. So where are people that are into the conservative movement, like, congregating now? Is this on social media? Are they meeting in real life? Like, where are people that part of these various uh, movements congregating besides MAGA people going to Trump rallies? I think on social media, there's the conservative Twitter, as I call, like a lot of people call it, is very big. So they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook groups, but there's also a lot of conferences happening all across the country. And people are really trying to find their niche of, of other voters, of other citizens. And that is something that's growing. I know that the harder right nationalist populist group, they start off on social media. They meet each other there a lot of times through Instagram, through watching people on Instagram lives or Facebook lives. And then they just go hang out and they plan conferences and they start organizations. The most active, enthusiastic group on the right right now are the nationalist, populist, more right-wing young people. They meet people on social media and they go out in the real world and do more stuff with them. And that is something that hasn't really existed in recent years. So, okay, so now let me ask you a little bit about, about the MAGA side of things. So from the so-called leaders in that space, uh, the influencers in that space, the podcasters in that space versus, you know, just regular everyday people that will put on their, you know, make America great hat and still go to a Trump rally. Um, do you see the leaders in that space, the podcasters, the influencers as, um, I mean, not everyone is this, but do you see a lot of them as basically grifters at this point? I mean, the fact that they're still talking about um, sort of election, you know, this election theft. Well, what happens is now people become desensitized to the idea of an election being stolen. And I don't understand how people now believe, let's say Trump runs again, that he could even win if he couldn't stop election fraud while he was president. How do you stop election fraud when you're not president? I mean, this is kind of the stuff I think about from a common sense perspective. The MAGA people in a lot of ways are they're very sequestered because the super right-wing people don't really want to interact with them in the same way the neocons hate them so it's become a very insular community and when that happens it's very difficult to get to get new ideas and those grifters the commentators to me there's almost different levels of grifters there are people in it who are solely for the money and then there are people who just think this is an industry and this is what they should be doing for their country and i'm not saying that that they are you know on par with people who are just not grifters but there is a there is a lesser grifter here and those people 
I genuinely think, think that Trump can win again. And they genuinely believe the crazy stuff they say. And that's very sad because they're not scum. They're not saying horrible things for no reason or just for money. They're saying it because they believe it. And the longer that goes on, the more of a super MAGA cult they amass. And the bigger that cult gets, the worse it gets for candidates who are not going to talk to that cult because they can't because they're in purple or not super dark red areas. Okay. So let me ask you this now. Are you paying attention to, like, who is the, who are the money men these days? You know, it used to be, let's say, the Koch brothers or the Mercer family. Who are, uh, you know, Bernie Marcus? Who are the, who are the money guys that are throwing around money in the conservative sphere right now? Well, I can tell you in the youth conservative sphere, I, I wouldn't know as much in the general one, but Charlie Kirk runs all the money in the young conservative sphere. It, he just does. And that's really been this way since, I would say, since the beginning of Trump's term. He is the one who gets people in through Turning Point Kids signed contracts to promote certain amounts of things. They sign NDAs. There's a whole system that goes on here. And it's a little frustrating because you have 17-year-olds signing NDAs, or 18-year-olds rather, signing NDAs to be promoting conservative content. Why do you need to sign an NDA to promote conservative content? Because when you go to those conferences and you go to the trainings at those conferences, it's not actually to save the country. It's to grow the Turning Point brand. And it's not that I'm hating on Turning Point. I just know that they are where the entire conservative grifter economic system is centered. It's a very brilliant thing Kirk has done, but I do think it's to the detriment of this whole country. And it was frustrating for me in 2020 because I knew, and so did a couple other young conservatives, and we all knew that he was doing nothing to win the youth vote. So we get to the 2020 election, we get the numbers back, especially from Tufts University, and we get the breakdown of each state. And we lose the youth vote in the majority of the states. We lose 30 points. And there's been no effort to hold him accountable to that. And it's only going to get worse. He has never been held accountable for that. When Trump has had him up there as, you know, his youth advisor, at least informally, and saying that this guy is the guy I'm going to tap for that, and someone fails, they should be fired. But he's never been fired, and no one has. There's a lot of people that should have been fired in the Trump administration. But let, let me ask you this. I haven't looked into it in a long time. Is Charlie still backed with uh, Bernie Marcus money? Is that who's still mainly I'm behind Trump? I'm not sure. Trump? I'm not sure. Okay. I do know that he has quite a lot of private donors that are just businessmen and women throughout the country. And that's been a very smart thing for Turning Point to do. There, ha- there is. I don't think there's as much dependence on one or two big donors as much in the conservative movement as there has been in the past. There's a, there's a lot more of them. They're looking for new people to start things up with for the youth movement. It's definitely diversified. Well, if there's people with money behind it, obviously people donating large enough amounts of money that they uh, expect results. Now, we don't know what the results really are. You don't know what people's motives yeah. really are. But if Charlie Kirk has failed in delivering the youth vote... Um, Let's just say, I mean, if the whole thing was just a grifter network about bringing in money and these guys were investors getting a return on their money, there's a lot of easier ways to get returns on money than that, especially at the level that these guys play at. So what do you think? I mean, this is just your opinion, obviously, but what do you think their purpose is if they're not actually delivering with as big as Turning Point appears to be and they have their little influencers all over the place? uh, What do you think their purpose is? I mean, if they're not if they're not delivering results as far as voting goes, then what are they doing? I think the 
the backers genuinely believe that they're trying to win the country back. The problem is we always knew there was a portion of America that was filled with young conservatives. That's not new. There was always a, there was always 8% of the black population in America voting for Republicans. These numbers are not new. What Turning Point and other conservative organizations did is they shoved all these people in front of a camera. And so they've made donors believe, and a lot of people in the conservative movement believe that they've gotten in all these new young people. They didn't. They just got those people in front of cameras. So their purpose, according to the money, is probably to save America. The problem is, and this isn't just in the youth wing, this is in the social media landscape as well. The people who lost the 2020 election for Trump on the strategic front, none of them were held accountable. So we're going into the midterms and after that in a lot of ways with the same team. And the Democrats are always updating their roster. Yes, you have the Clintons. Yes, you have a lot of the same people, the DNC, but they hire new talent. Never think that they don't hire new talent when they see it. They do, even if that talent is 16. We didn't do that. And that's going to be a problem the closer we get to midterms in 2024. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, because you mentioned it a couple of times. You just said that the people with the money probably, you know, want to take the country back or save America. Do you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you define that? What does that mean to these money people save America? Does it just mean be in political control, like have the majority of the seats? just be in political control. I think it genuinely just means have all three areas, have the presidency, Congress, and the Senate, and then make sure the Supreme Court is always conservative. It also means win the majority of gubernatorial races as well. I know that that's a big focus that a lot of them have. Okay. And let me ask you this. So if you've got the turning point as the largest, let's just say whatever its purpose is, but the largest young conservative outreach, you know, networking organization, uh, marketing, PR, trying to put out the talking points, what is... Uh, if we're going to lose or if we're losing the youth vote, what is the left's outreach? Other than the fact that we know that they control, obviously, the universities, they control the public education system, they control all the entertainment, they control all of the music. Uh, I mean, is that their apparatus or do they have a ground game as far as like politics goes? They have a ground game and they have a very competent door knocking system. They have a lot of outreach. The problem we have is that the left is sort of a spider in the way it's handled this. You're right. It has the colleges and universities. It has media. It has social media. It has arts and cultures. It has music. So they have all of these different areas that they're dominating. And from each of those areas, they watch for the best youth talent. And when I say youth talent, those people do not always go in and work for the DNC. Sometimes they're elevated in the music industry. And they're elevated in arts and culture, education. So what the left does is it finds the best people or the smartest people that believe everything leftist and subscribe to that ideology. And it promotes them within the system they want to succeed in. So you have fashion dominated by left wingers. That's the problem we have. If, if the GOP would just invest even a little more, the conservative movement invest a little more in the areas that it's natural for it to succeed in, like economics, like trade, like being in like industrialism, anything like that, and promoted talent and really sought after young people there, we'd probably be in a better system, but there's not one giant left-wing organization. And they're almost smarter for there not being one, because that means we don't have a specific area to target politically or go after in marketing or PR. We don't, they don't have that soft underbelly that we do. So let me ask you this, then is it because it just seems like if you take the last 25 years in this country and you just look at 
everything that has occurred. The country has really only gone um, left. Like if you add up the columns for the right and the column for the left, the country has moved left in like typical terms of, uh, you know, the definition of left. So does the, the like does the right wing we were supposed to believe for many years that people uh 70 of the country identified as conservative well where is that then like where yeah. where actually is this and how do the conservatives consistently seem to lose or win and then cave to the left just like donald trump when he was uh president and then he had the house and he had the senate and he was supposed to build a border wall but then he literally would walk out in front of the press at a gaggle and negotiate himself down from the 20 billion dollars he wanted to two billion dollars yeah, all by himself with no pushback he would say oh, i'll take 20 okay 18 17 we'll do 15 we're gonna do th- the democrats won't let me have more than two two billion that's all we need mm-hmm. okay and then he would say that he lost because the left pushed back well you had all branches i mean so what do you think this is you think it's a game coming from the republicans because how could we constantly lose on the right there are not as many conservatives in this country as the gop would lead you to believe it's not true and i don't understand how how it could have ever been true because if you if you leave colleges and universities and i include k through 12 in this now we're at the point now where they are in ideologically in those areas if you give that to the left and you give arts and culture and you give fashion and you give music and you give media and you give sports in a lot of areas how could there possibly be this many conservatives it's not true so when you're in a point where you're at midterms and you're seeing the fact that we have low turnout we have low turnout for two reasons one because we're just not running competent campaigns by and large and two because there are more young leftists turning 18 every single day and there are not enough young conservatives turning 18 for it to even be an even fight we're not two to one we're like five to one in some areas so when you have that where even when a republican gets elected even when trump gets elected or any republican they're then in a position where they know there are millions of young people on the left who will try to vote them out so they think i'll just compromise on this bit and i'll try to you know give an inch here because they don't want to upset those millions of young people on the left and that's something we've just never addressed. We are in trouble in terms of the amount of young conservatives compared to the amount of young leftists in this country. Right. So they're just totally playing a numbers game, but they yeah. don't have any. And there are there's no one in a position uh, that wields any power or influence that has the ability nor maybe the will to actually figure out how to change hearts and minds so instead they're just moving numbers around on a spreadsheet saying we have to give on this take on this so at the end of the day the people in power i don't think are ideological at all are they i mean they won't stand firm and die on that hill they just want to win the next election i don't think a lot of them are ideological and this is a point where i differ from some conservatives i believe there are leftists who are not backed by anybody who are just true believers in their doctrine i think it's true from what i've seen so we spend a lot of time trying to convince the world that every leftist is is, you know backed by some giant benefactors brainwashed there are some people who are true socialists and true communists and the sooner we acknowledge that and we see that 
that's not going to change the better off we are. I know a lot of young people who truly believe that communism will serve this country. And they have not been to any, you know, the equivalent of a leadership training camp on the left. They just believe that. So we're up against this idea that we can unbrainwash everyone and we spend a lot of time attempting that. And by and large, it just doesn't work. So let me ask you, when you talk about young um, you know, conservatives or the young folks in, uh, interested in politics. What are we talking? Age, what, and younger? In the conservative ones? Oh, yeah. What do you consider to be young? I mean, I would say anywhere from like, I, I try to not have minors involved. So I would say 18 to like 28 is the, really the range of people who are still young enough to understand the current social media landscape to be up to date with things. I don't think a 35 year old is a young conservative. And this is another major issue. So I'm 22. I'm a young conservative. At 18, I was a young conservative. At 31, I will not be a young conservative. I will be a conservative. There's a difference. So when you hire a 35 year old to be in charge of youth outreach, that's a problem. You know, there was a man named Mitch Freckleton who was the director of youth engagement for the GOP. And this man, blocked me on Twitter and blocked several other young people on Twitter because he didn't like the fact that we tweeted at him asking, what are you doing? What is the plan here? He was he was not 18. He was, I believe, in his late 20s, early 30s. He was married with children. That's fine. Good for him. But he's not a young conservative. And that's something we have to deal with in the GOP. Doesn't mean you have to hire 18-year-olds, but go hire a competent 25-year-old and not a 35-year-old. Yeah, so let me ask you this then. If you take uh, 18 to 28, do you know, just generally speaking, how many people within that 10-year uh, range would identify as being on the left, being on the right, and just being indifferent, people that just don't even get involved with politics at all? I don't think they, anyone would identify as being indifferent. I think they would identify as being independents. So that would be the largest portion. I don't have the specific numbers, but I know in that group, conservatives will be the smallest group. And that is something we need to acknowledge because there's a lot of independents. And the problem we have with independents is that they are not socially conservative. So they're not going to be pro-life. They may be pro-life, you know, in a certain amount of months. They may not like late-term abortion. A lot of them don't. But by and large, they're not socially conservative. So we have an issue of trying to cater to them, and then you lose the harder right young conservatives. But in all three groups, young conservatives will always be the smallest amount in this country. Okay, so what would you say? The, the largest would be the independents, then the left, and yeah. the conservatives? Mm -hmm. But even and, the independents are left-leaning, so that's a problem. Right, and then, and then the question is on the... Right, and then most people, I think, I mean, the vast majority, I think, don't even know what they are. I mean, if you sit down and have dinner with a random group of 10 adults, you know, over 28, most people, they can argue about an issue that everybody just heard on facebook or on cnn or fox it's all the same thing you're looking at mm -hmm. they can argue about that but if you try to talk to them in depth about what i'm you know and you identified yourself and defined conservatism to yourself or how you judge candidates uh most people can't do that i don't think most people can they might say oh i'm a liberal and then you'll talk to them about something and you'll say well that's funny that's like a traditionally conservative viewpoint that you have on that issue so i mean do you find that when you're talking to people that most people are sort of confused or they really don't know or they're told that they're on the left so then they believe they're on the left 
How do you see yeah, that? I, ha- I have a friend who did not realize that she was very conservative. And I was running through a bunch of different political issues. I was like, well, what do you think about the Second Amendment? She's like, oh, I think we should always keep the Second Amendment. I want to have lots of firearms to protect my family. I'm like, okay, you realize that is not a leftist position. <laughs> and then we were running through abortion. And I said, what do you think about abortion? Oh, I'm completely pro-life. Okay, well, you again realize that disqualifies you from being on the left. So there are a lot of these disqualifying positions that a lot of young people hold, but they don't realize that that makes them conservative. There's also this thing where being a conservative in America as a young person is really hard. And I don't mean that in like, a, oh, poor me thing. It's just alienating. There are lots of doors that once you're a public young conservative are closed to you. And that's a very difficult thing to deal with. And there are a lot of young people out there who are young conservatives, who know they are, who will never say it out loud because they don't want half of the doors in this country to be closed to them. And I blame that solely on the leadership of the Republican Party over the last 40 years because it was the Republican Party that has allowed that cultural door-shutting sequence to happen for young people in this country. Oh, it's that. And then, you know, even for uh, older conservatives, I mean, it gets to be embarrassing at a certain point because, say with myself, when I got involved with politics, back then I had to cheer on George W. Bush when he stand on the rubble after 9-11. And then all of a sudden it was the at least seen as the conservatives that led us into a 20-year war. And yeah. so the next thing you know, you have to uh, it, you have to basically absorb all that and be accountable for that when your friends say, yeah, man, you told me to vote for that guy and we ended up in a 20-year war. Or with Trump, you told me to vote for him. Okay, the first three years might have looked good, but look what he walked us into in the last year. So that's your guy. You can't take credit for some stuff and then try to deflect on the rest of it. No, you can't. And that's been something that's been difficult as well. The Trump bubble, the Trump idea that everything was going to be fine because Donald Trump was running for president again and we were all going to win. It was going to be great. This bubble really filled people with the hopium thing of thinking it's all going to be fine and everything's going to be great. And I remember sitting in the living room during the last few days of the 2020 campaign and my mom and I are watching the Trump rallies and we know what he's about to say because he said the same thing at the prior rallies for the past couple weeks. And that was a very scary moment because that meant that he was in no way, shape, or form trying to win over other people. He was only playing to his base. And yes, that works in areas like Florida and Ohio that love Trump. That's great. But in the in the, the Rust Belt, that was not hitting. And that was a very big concern that was never listened to. And now look where we are. It also works very well for grifting. <laughs> so, yeah, very well. At, at, at the same time, you can't say, uh, you know, wear the mask, don't wear the mask. If you wear the mask, you're patriotic. If you don't wear the mask, you're not patriotic, but you're patriotic if you wear it. Don't wear it. Fauci, love him, hate him. He's a great guy, fantastic. I'll fire him tomorrow, horrible person. And then you're like, what is he even talking about at this point? He takes all sides of every issue in three sentences. But um, let me just go back for one second. Do you know the numbers currently, the percentage of 18 to 28 year olds that vote in presidential elections no but i know that we lost the um youth vote by i believe 
32 points last time in the in the 2018 midterms and then the 2020 race as well i think it was higher than that and we didn't win the youth vote in the majority of the states and what was strange to me is i remember doing an interview with a, a young another young conservative very smart man and i said to him why did we just barely win the youth vote in areas like iowa like why in iowa in a place where not a lot happens do you think republicans have such an advantage and he said to me, well, because conservatives are homegrown there. They don't really leave. It's a farming area. So in areas where you have this serious like family dependence and you have industry that's built in for children to take over, we're winning. And to me, that shows that in families where economics are taught, where you have kids going out to work in those families to prepare kids to then leave and go you know, be adults, we win over those young people, but in the coddling areas of this country, we lose overwhelmingly. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you said, what was it in Iowa? You said in we Iowa, won we, the we, we, yeah, just by, just by a little bit. And I remember being so surprised because a lot of times you see Iowa conservatives, especially the Iowa caucuses, and they're very reserved. They're not going to be like you might see in Georgia or Texas with the, the very verbose conservative leadership. And it's because we have this culture in Iowa of homegrown conservatism. And that's something that's just not being replicated throughout the country. Yeah, because it's more ingrained in the, the culture there. So what would you say, if you were sitting in front of a room, you know, with 50% people that uh, young folks that identified as the left and 50% that identified on the right, what do you think the top five issues are for, and I know this changes all the time and it could change based on news. Like I was just saying, if all of a sudden a big story comes out on Facebook today, people's number one issue changes day to day it could be ukraine russia today tomorrow it's a booster number seven and then the next week it's that they're backing uh lindsey lohan in a battle against somebody trying to steal her money but i mean if for people that are fairly in tune what do you think the top five issues are right now I mean, I would say student debt is at the top of it because the Biden administration promised big on student debt and never delivered. So student debt, how, being able to purchase a home and being able to get a car is also are also very big issues. There are lots of young people who struggle to get cars now, also because we have such a, a lack of them, of pre-owned cars because of the yeah. supply chain issues and people holding on to their vehicles. So those two are very big. Also Russia, Ukraine, because there's always this underlying threat that young people perceive of nuclear weapons and Biden's recent comments about that didn't help. And I think just fifth, whatever the main social issue is of the day, and that can be a celebrity feud. It could be a Netflix show that comes out that has not like if you remember, I, f I forget what it's called, but there was a recent Netflix movie that came out um, that lots of young people objected to because they said that it wasn't defending um, immigrants enough because there was a soldier who made derogatory comments in it. And that was something that captured quite a lot of young people that politicians never talked about because I, I don't even think they really knew. Oh, okay. No, I never heard of that. So it was younger people, what, on the left or the right were upset the about left, this? On the left, I think maybe it was called Purple Heart or something. It had Sophia Carson in it, who comes from Disney Channel. She had a very big built-in um, fan base. And that was something I knew, that young people on the left are very upset about it because they didn't feel it was woke enough. And they felt like it was glorifying the sort of military-industrial complex and glorifying racism and everything. And to me, I saw that as massive story, and a lot of young people did, and I never saw it covered. 
anywhere in conservative mm. media. It may have been, but I didn't see it. And that sort of shows how little we're often clued into what's happening. I follow way more pop culture people on Twitter than I do politicians. And that's because you find out more about what's going on pop culture than you do with politicians right now. Well, let, let me ask you that. So when you say conservative media, what do you consider to be conservative media now? I, w- I mean, I think Fox is conservative media. I don't mean conservative media in terms of, you know, the ones that are pushing to have real change. Just what falls under that banner right now is Newsmax, talk radio, Fox News, um, a lot of the, the conservative like Facebook Live or Twitch streamers, those people. And then you have the publications like The Federalist. And then um, there's a lot of smaller newspapers as well, or online magazines that fall into it. And then you also have a lot of the Heritage Foundation articles that come out and they're massive within the conservative movement. The Western Journal is big as well. Those are re- That's really the main hub right now of conservative okay. media. All right. And then let's talk about this because you've been um, really heavily involved in, you know, the pro-life issue. When I asked you uh, how you defined yourself as a conservative, that was one of your number one issues that you looked at as far as candidates do. How is that movement going? Because I remember it as a kid. When I was a kid, it was a big issue. You'd hear adults fighting about this at dinner, you know, pro-life and pro-choice. So what's actually going on in that movement? What's happened over the last five years? I know with the Supreme Court decision, things have changed. But again, I've been kind of out of the loop on political issues so well what's the going on supreme, there the supreme court reversed roe v wade and that really happened because of amy coney barrett because we had such a, a harsh majority on the supreme court and what i found fascinating which i misjudged was that there was no massive real march about it young women who we've always heard for decades my whole life i've heard this they ever overturn roe v wade women are going to take to the streets and they're going to force everything to happen to change that didn't happen No one did that. So really, the young women on the left who always counted on having this sort of army of women of all ages and all creeds who were going to come up and stand up for their reproductive rights, that didn't come to fruition. That didn't happen. So what's now happened is you have all, you had the trigger laws where a lot of states in this country had where the second Roe v. Wade was overturned, there would be a ban on abortion in a certain amount of weeks. So that's happened in several states. A couple of the other ones are in um, legal context, t- contest right now about whether or not they're going to be allowed to go forward. In terms of the pro-life movement, I do think we are lacking in, in continuous activity. Roe v. Wade being overturned is a massive accomplishment. I'm very happy to see that happen in my lifetime. However, there are many states that are right on the edge about whether or not they're pro-life or pro-choice. And the pro-life movement to what I've seen is not being active enough. Now, there's also a problem in that the Biden Justice Department is now targeting pro-life advocates and pro-life activists who go to abortion clinics and try to stop it. There have been people arrested. So there is a little bit of fear right now. And if I was in charge of a pro-life movement, I would say you need to put very young women who are over 18, of course, but young women at the front because the Biden administration is not going to want to arrest young women the same way they have been older men and older women. Yes, until they label you a uh, white supremacist, racist, uh, uh, transphobe or something like that. But no, no, I understand that. But here's one of the things, because what we've been covering here is there's this whole new movement growing out of the technology sector, which is the push for designer babies uh you know i don't know if you followed some of this but to me the next fight in the pro-life movement which is pro-humanity is this 
complete and total anti-human movement that's going on in the science and engineering community, sponsored even by our government. There's a lot of money going into the private sector, being spread around, and they're working on this designer baby concept. And the next step, I did a podcast, uh, I think the episode was called uh, The Real War on Women, and they're starting to push the propaganda now, which is essentially that your body, that your womb is inefficient, and they want to start growing babies inside these synthetic wombs and you say to yourself well who's going to own them the government the corporations if it's not grown inside a woman and now we're already seeing this with the designer baby in vitro push where they're basically taking your egg fertilizing it in the lab then they sit there and they pick through the embryos they kill the ones that they say could possibly have you know cancer or something else that's in your lineage and then now the next move is they want to grow them in this synthetic labs i mean this is the next front of pro-life as far as i see it are you seeing anybody talking about this in this movement 